We're going to start here from the Mishnah, the top of the Madara Mouth. Over the Fnea Teva, Vita, if the Shlech Zibur, while he's davening, he makes a mistake. Yavor Acher Tachtav. Then he replaces him with another Shlech Zibur. Sarvan That time, the replacement should not be reticent to come up. It should come up immediately to replace the individual who made the mistake. Meichan Humatchil. From where does the replacement begin? From the beginning of the Bracha, in which the mistake was made by the first Shlech Tzibur. Excuse me, are we going to get it to explain what exactly what is what is referring to? Uh, no. Is that, is that what we're referring to? No? I would think that over the Tnei Vah and Ta'ah is that they were davening Baal Peh. He forgets. Yeah, he loses track. He can't continue. That would be my guess about what Ta'ah is here. He could be any toad. But I'm just saying in their time, the most likely scenario was that they were davening Baal Peh and he loses the track. He can't finish up the bracha. Over the Tnei Vah. The Shlech Tzibur should not answer Amein after the Kohanim because he'll get confused. He has to keep the pace. He has to call out before the Kohanim. And because of that, he should not answer Amein because he'll get confused. Tosfa points out here from the Mishnah, the fact that the Mishnah says one may not answer Amein because it'll confuse him in terms of continuing to call out to the Kohanim, the Brachot. From that, it shows that Amein is not a Haifsek. That the problem here is not that Amen is mafsik in the middle of Birakat Kohanim, because the Amen is the Kabbalata Bracha, and for therefore it's Minyana to the Bracha, and it's not a hefsek for the Shatz to answer Amen. The problem is that he might get confused. So, Lahalocha, if he will not get confused, it's brought down that he could answer Amen to the Brachot, and the Mishnah Rupa points out today that when we have Sidurim and read from the Sidurim, it's Ke'ilo, we are Muftachim, and therefore the Shatz could answer Amen. But that may be only true when it comes to the brachot of the Kohanim. It may not be true with the bracha of the Kohanim. When they say, and they make the bracha before Begad Kohanim, that amen might be a hefseik, because that's not necessarily a part of the bracha, and therefore may be a hefseik for the shots. So therefore the shots should not answer amen to the bracha that the Kohanim make. In terms of the verechacha and those brachot, if he feels confident enough, he can answer amen. Otherwise, there's no obligation upon him to answer amen in order that he keeps his place to continue the davening. Rabbeinu Tam notes something that he mentions in the Gemara and Sota, which is that the Shatz is not allowed to call out Kohanim. Here the Amein may not be in Hefseik, but to call the Kohanim to the Duchin is Hefseik, because that's not a part of the Tefillah. And therefore the Rabbeinu Tam says when the Gemara in Sota says that the person who calls the Kohanim is the Chazan, the Chazan is not the Shlich Tzibor, he's someone in the crowd, he's the Gabai. That's the person that calls Kohanim, not the person who is davening. In the Tosafot, the Rabbeinu Yehuda notes that even according to the Rabbeinu Tam, that might have been true in their day, where they did not add in Elokeinu Vedokei Avoteinu, meaning that they just did Birkat Kohanim, as is the practice in most places in Israel. But in places where they do say Elokeinu Vedokei Avoteinu, and that it's part of the bracha and the word Kohanim is found in there, then even the Shatz could call out Kohanim as he reads it, the word Kohanim inside of the bracha, because then it would not be a hefseik. That is generally the practice in Chutzlarts, as well as in some communities in Eretz Yisrael that say Elokeinu Vedokei Avoteinu in order to start out the Birkat Kohanim. If the Shliach Tzibor is the Kohen, and he's the only Kohen there, he should not Duchen. If he's confident that he could Duchen, and then return to Davening as the Shatz, Rashai, he is permitted to do that. Despite the fact that both the Shulchan Aruch and the Ramah, as well as the Mishnah Burah, seem to indicate that if there are other Kohanim in the Tzibor, 
that a coin shot should not do it. Nevertheless, the practice today is that any time there's a coin, there's a sliat zibor, even if he's not the only coin, that he duchins. So it's interesting that Mina developed against the sack of the Shokhanach and the Rabbah to avoid having the Shlech Tzibor duchin. And the practice today is that the Shlech Tzibor does duchin in these situations. Tanner of Banan. Over lifnei ha-teva, tzarich To ask you the diamond for the Omud, you have to be a little reluctant. You have to be reticent. V'meinu misarev. And if you don't reject the first offer, Dumelet tavshil she'in bo melach. Kuvantu, having a dish without any salt in it. And if you reject the offer or you are reticent to go for too long, it's equivalent to a dish where it was burnt by the salt. So there's a balance between rejecting the offer and being stubborn. So what's the proper etiquette in this situation? First time they ask you to say, no, no, no. The second one, you hesitate. Mehavhev, by a flame, you say that it's mehavhev. So that means here, you're kind of saying yes, but you're still saying no. Shlishit poshid raglabiyoreit. And the third time already, you're on your way down to Pidashlech Zibor. So that's the proper etiquette, which is not just to accept right away to acquiesce, but also on the other side, not to be too stubborn and say no too many times. Tarabanan. Shlosha ruban kasheh. The three items where if you have too much of it, it's no good. A little bit of it is okay. Ve'eluhein. Se'or, melach, and sarvanut. Se'or is yeast or some sort of rising agent. If you have a little bit, it's really good. If you have too much of it, it ruins the whole dough. Melach, salt as well. Pinch of salt is good. It gives a little flavor. Too much salt ruins the dish. And Sarvanut is the same thing. The willingness to be reticent or reluctant to accept right away, that's good if it's a little bit. If you have too much of that, it already becomes stubbornness or difficulty. Makes a mistake in the first three brachot, he has to start over again, because they're considered to be a single unit. In the middle brachot, he goes back to Atachonein, which is the first of those middle brachot. And the final three brachot, he goes back to Ritzei. So everyone is a unit. You have a unit of three in the beginning. You have a unit of 12 in the middle, 13 now. And then you have a unit of three at the end. And each of those units, if you make a mistake, you've got to go back to the beginning of that unit. So in the, big, in the first three brachot, that means go to the Rosh. The last three brachot means go to Ritzei. The middle brachot, that means go back to Atachonen. So that is the position of Ravuna. Rav Asi Amar, Emtziot, Enlehem Seder. The middle brachot have no order to them, which would indicate wherever you make a mistake, you can continue from, or if you skip a brach, according to Rashi, this is very interesting, Rashi says there's no order, and because of that, if you skip the brach, and then you remember, you can go back and say it wherever you are. You don't have to go back, for instance, in Kriyachma, if you skip something, and then you remember you skipped it, you must go back to that, because you must read Kriyachma Kaseder. You must read it in its order. You can't read it lemachreya. You can't read it retroactively out of order. For that reason, if you make a mistake in the middle of a hafta, and then you're in Vayim Shemoa, you must return to where you made the mistake in the hafta in order to continue. You can't just fill in that posuk that you left out or made a mistake in. Over here, what Rashi is indicating is that if the emtsayot, the middle brachot, have no order, that means you can, whatever order you are in, if you remember now, remember later, you can put the brachot wherever it is that you remember. There's no necessity to go back to Atachonein and if you made a mistake, because the order is irrelevant in the middle brachot. That's the way Rashi learns what Imtiyot in Lehem Seder is. 
On the other hand, Tosafot says he doesn't like that. He says, V'lo nihira. That's not be Megillah. According to Megillah, Mafrei lo yatsa. Tanya v'chein v'halel, v'chein v'kriyat shma, v'chein v'tfila. It says it's pretty explicit in the Gemara Megillah that reading things in order has application not only by Megillah, halel, kriyat shma, but also tfila, by shma nesrei. So how could Rashi say this? Ken yechaf nira k'per sh'rashbam v'ravalfus. It's like the Rashbam and the Rif. It's interesting just to, to note that Tosafot in Brachot quotes the Rif innumerable amount of times. In Shas, the rest of Shas, you see him quote occasionally. But here in Brachot, he quotes the Rif almost every daf. He's quoting the Rif in the Tosafot. Dein lam seder dekamar, hanu shiatchil b'makom shidilega bracha. Misham yelach yomer akol. So Tosafot says it's the same structure as what we were talking about before. Before we said with the three first Brachot, when you choser the Rosh, because if you make a mistake there, the whole unit falls, and you have to go back to the beginning. The last three make a mistake. The whole unit falls. You have to go back to Ritzay. But in the middle, if you make a mistake in the middle, you don't have to return to Atachonein. You just go to wherever the mistake was. So that's the, the difference between the first three and the last three in the middle is exactly that. Where do you have to go when you make a mistake? If you see them as a single unit, then you always have to go back to the beginning. If they're not Kaseders, Ravashi is saying over here that the inland Seder means you don't have to go back to the beginning. They're not viewed as a single unit, a single block. You only have to go back to the location where you made the mistake. And so according to the Tosafot, you see here the reef in the Rashbam, that's what it means in Lem Seder, as opposed to Rashi, who says in Lem Seder means you can fill in wherever you want, put them out of order. There is no structure to the middle 12 brachot. Correct, correct. The Gemara Megillah goes through a sequence of the brachot and why each bracha goes before the other bracha. So the Chathila, there is some sense or seder to why the Chazal put it together in that way. Nevertheless, B'diyavid, if you skip around, we're not going to make you go back and do it over according to Rashi. So now, Meitiv, Rav Sheshit, Meithan Hu Chuzer. When does he go back to? So, Metchilat HaBracha, Shetaazeh. We're talking about in our Mishnah, Tazeh, this one makes a mistake, and then the other one takes over. The Mishnah says, where does he take over from? The Mishnah says, from the location where the other one made a mistake, the beginning of that bracha. So now the way our Gemara has, and the Gerson our Gemara is Tuf to the Ravuna. This is a strong refutation against Ravuna. Ravuna says you make a mistake in the middle brachot, you go back to Atachone. That's not what our Mishnah is saying. Our Mishnah is saying you make a mistake, you go back to the beginning of the bracha in which you are found. Now I'll read our Gemara with the Gerson that we have, and then I'll show you the alternative. As I mentioned before, when I explained Ravuna, there are three units. There's a unit called the first three brachot, there's a unit called the last three brachot, and there's a unit called the middle twelve brachot. So when I say you make a mistake, you go back to the beginning of that bracha, what's the beginning of that bracha? The beginning of that unit. And that's what it means to go back to the beginning of the bracha, it means going back to the beginning of Atachonein. That's the way our Gemara reads. The interesting thing is, if you go and look at Rashi, Rashi, when he discusses here, Mitchila bracha shetabazeh, Rashi says, Umeila mishtama, digomer mimena vahala. Finish from there forward. Alma al sidra tzarich lagzor v'lomra. You have to say it in order. And Rashi, the way Rashi explained Ravuna before is, he says it, you have to say it kaseder. Rav Asi says you can say it out of order. And sure enough, the Mishnah comes back and says you have to go back to the place that they made a mistake, indicating that there's some sort of seder over here. So Rashi seems to be saying that the question is not on Rav Huna, but rather on Rav Asi. And if you look on the side here in the Surat Hashas, he says, Tzarech Lomar, Tiyuftu de Rav Asi. Our Mishnah is a strong refutation against Rav Asi. Let us say it's also a problem for Rav Huna. And then we give the answer that our Gemara gave, which is, no, it's not a problem for Avuna, because he'll just say the middle block is considered to be one bracha. 
Now that works well according to Rashi and Rashi's understanding of what the machlok between Vasi and Ravuna is. Vasi and Ravuna, according to, Ravuna, uh, according to Rashi, are arguing about whether you have to do a keseder or not keseder. And therefore, our Mishnah seems to indicate keseder is important, and that's why it's a problem for Rav Asi, but not a problem for Ravuna, as answered by our Gemara. According to the explanation of Tosafot, the Reef, the Rashbam, it wouldn't work. The whole Girsa, according to Rashi, doesn't work. The Girsa in our Gemara works, which is the whole question will be on Ravuna. There is no question on Ravasi. All Ravasi says is, you start from wherever you made a mistake. You don't have to go back to the beginning of that block. That's exactly what our Mishnah says. And therefore, there's no Tiyuf to the Ravasi according to Tosafot. There, you can answer. You can just answer. It's talking about middle of 12. Rav Sheshit is the Mishnah. He's just quoting the Mishnah. Mishnah doesn't have any definition. Okay, but everybody has that problem. Ravuna and Ravasi have that problem. So everybody's going to say it's referring to the MTUT. That's the only solution to that problem. That, that, that we have a solution to. That we could answer. Amar of Yehuda. Olam ayishel adam tzorachav lo b'shlosh bishanot lo b'shlosh achronot elo b'mtayot. Person should not ask any of his personal requests in the first three brachot, and nor in the last three brachot. Now this really ties back to what we discussed earlier about where one may put in their requests and the. The Rabbeinu Hananel, Rabhai, and Tosafot, as well as the Tamid point out that the requirements is that you don't put it in the first three or the last three, but that's only Tzrachav, when it's his needs. But if it's Tzarchei Rabim, then you are allowed to put it in the Shlosh Vishenot, the Shlosh Achronot, and in that way they justify the Minhag Geonim to add in what we're about to start saying in two weeks, which is Zachreinu, Michamocha, all those insertions, which are later additions, they're added in by the time of the Geonim, how is it possible that they added them in? Shlosh Rishonot, Shlosh Achronot. The dispensation, according to the Rebbeinu Yonah, according to the Rishonim, is because they are not Tzrachav, but rather Tzachei Rabim. And since they are the Tzachei Rabim, you're allowed to insert them in those locations. So the first three are like a servant who is praising his master, and therefore it's inappropriate to put a request in the middle of your praising of the master. Middle brachot are like an evid, a servant who is asking for some sort of reward from his master, someone who is making a request, asking for a raise, any type of request. Achronot, the last three brachot, domeh, the evid shikibel pras mirabol, who got something from his master, and now, beniftar v'olechlo, he's thanking him, and he's parting ways with him. So the first three and the last three are not appropriate to make requests in them, because in terms of the structure of the tefillah, they would be almost a non-sequitur there. To have praise of a Baruch Hu, you're trying to give praise, you are acknowledging the power, the abilities of the indiv- individual when it's his master, or of a Kodesh Baruch Hu, when we're talking about God, then there it would be inappropriate to insert also some sort of request in there. And the same is true when you're departing. You don't make a last request when you're departing, you leave on a good note, on a note of thank you and acceptance. So that's why it would be inappropriate to put insertions in those areas, and only in the middle 12 is it okay. Now just in terms of the structure here, which is Shevach, Bakasha, and Hoda'ah, that structure, interestingly enough, the Rambam believes is Midoraita. We know the machlok between the Ramban and the Rambam about whether Tefillah is Doraita or not. The Rambam says that Tefillah in Tepur is Doraita. The Ramban disagrees and says it's completely dirabanan, except in situations where there is danger, difficulty, based on the pasuk and balotcha that you're calling out to Hashem. 
But the Rambam who says that tefillah is the right to believe it's only once a day to daven, and it has nothing to do with the structure of what we have in tefillah, the 18 brachot mishmon esrei. That's all the Rabbanan. So to daven three times a day, the Rabbanan. To have Shmon Esrei, the Rabbanan. But, Rambam writes that the Oraita, you have to have this structure, which is Shevach, Bakasha, and Hoda'ah. So even the one time you dive in a day, and you can say it any way you want, it still has to match this structure, or it has to conform to this structure of Shevach, Bakasha, and Hoda'ah, in order to be Yotze, the Din Oraita of Tefillah, according to the Rambam. So the Rambam women... Oh, yes, they have to, according to the Rambam. Yes, Eno Khanami. According to the Rambam, according to the Rambam, the Mitzvah Doraita that doesn't have a Zman Groma to it, for the women would be the Dav and Shevach and Bakasha and Hoda. Right? Tarabanan. Masib Talmid Echad, Sherad Bifne Ateva, who was a Talmid who went to be the Shlech Tzibor Bifne Rebbe Eliezer, but Yamarich Yotermidai. And he was going on, he had a long tefillah. Amalei Talmidav Rabbeinu Kamar Kanuze, is the remaining Talmidim said to the Rebbe, hey, listen, this guy is just going on and on. Has he gone any longer than Moshe? When he goes up to beseech Hashem to forgive B'nai Israel for the Masih Egel, he goes up for 40 days and 40 nights. He's no longer than that. He had a much shorter tefillah. This guy is quick. He's a speedster. Is he any shorter and faster than Moshe Rabbeinu? the shortest tefillah that we have, kel na rifana la. When Miriam gets tzorat, Moshe turns to Hashem and says, Hashem, you should cure her. I'm Rabbi Yaakov, Rabbi Chista. Yeah, yeah, I don't think, when, Rabbi, when they were talking about here that they were going longer or shorter, it wasn't that they were downing fast or slow. I don't think that's like today what the issue is. Right? Today we have a standard tefillah, but he's going too fast, he's going too slow. I don't think that's what the Gemara means here. I think the Gemara means here, either, right, Either they added in additional tefillot, or that this was before that they had a format or structure like that, which happened in the time of Rabbi Gamliel. Here talking about Rabbi Lezer ben Hurkunus, although more likely it's talking about addition in tefillah. How much did they add in or not add in into the tefillah? All right, so Amar Rav Yaakov and Rav very important din, person who is davening on behalf of their friend does not have to mention their name. Shinamar, proof is from what we just saw, kel na refon na la. He uses the pronoun la, does not define who the la is over there. And so you see, he does not mention Miriam's name. Now, I will point out it's a little different, because in the instance when Moshe Davins, Miriam's standing right in front of him. So when he says, kel na refon na la, two people sitting in front of him, it's Aaron and Miriam. It's pretty clear who he's speaking about. Context is given. And so I would say, based on that, the same is true here. They have one of Davins for their friend. They don't have to mention their name explicitly, but they do have to have a sense of who they're davening for, or who they're talking about, because otherwise, there's no reference point. You have to have some sort of reference point. By Moshe, the reference point was that she was present. Miriam was there. So therefore, he just didn't mention her name explicitly. He just said, la. But same thing here. If one's davening for a friend, they don't have to know the exact name. They don't have to have to mention the name. But if you know someone needs a refuah shlema, and you have in mind... When you're saying Rifainu for that individual, that is good enough. You don't have to explicitly mention their name. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Although I know that Rav Soloveitchik believed that if someone was sick and you don't daven on their behalf, or you don't have a mishabach made for them, then you are in violation of Lotamod al standing by idly while your friend is in trouble. Just like in the physical world, 
that if you see someone in danger, you don't save them, you're in violation of an Isser Torah. So to here, in the world where Tfilah, where you can make a difference by davening on behalf of somebody, and you don't intercede on their behalf, that's also a violation of Lotamod Adam Reyecha. These are the brachot in which a person bows down. Be'avot, when it comes to the first bracha, tchilav sof, beginning and end, which is our practice. Baruch atah Hashem in the beginning, and Baruch atah Hashem again, Avraham in those two locations. Be'odah, again in Hodah, which is modim, tchilav and sof, again the beginning is modim. Be'sof is tov shimcha, nuchanei le'odot, which is our practice. Wants to come down down at other brachot to the end of other brachot. Say don't do it. It's only these four locations where one bows down. And as Tosfos points out over here, let him bow down. What's the big deal? Right, very good. The first answer he gives is so you won't undermine the institution of the chachamim. Because then everybody's doing what they want instead of having some sort of fixed structure. And the last one is v'chayshin on the yora. We worry about a person acting in a way that seems a little bit haughty. Seems that he is holier than others because he bows down more times than other people. Be a competition. How many times you can bow down during Shemun Esrei? So this way they have a fixed amount of times people bow down. There's no problem like that. So I'm that's true of a late person. A late person bows down the four times that we mentioned. Kohen Gadol, when we're talking about a Kohen Gadol, Besov kol bracha bracha. He bows down at the end of every bracha. Vamelech, tchila kol bracha bracha, Besov kol bracha bracha. King bows down at the beginning of each bracha and the end of each bracha. Amar Rabbi Yitzchak bar Nachmani, the didim of Arshleimene, the Rabbi Shubin Levi. I have a different misora in the words of Rabbi Shubin Levi. Hejol kol shamanu. Again, the late person, like we said, Going gadol tchilat kol bracha ubracha beginning of each bracha hamelach came in shikara shuv eno zokef in the moment that he bows down he doesn't have to get up again shenemar they bring a proof from Shlomo Melech when he has his tefillah at the consecration of the mikdash but he kechalot Shlomo will eat palel that after Shlomo ends or finishes davening come mlifnei mizbach Hashem mikroal birkav he gets up from being bowed on his knees before Hashem. So it seems like the entire tefillah, he was on his knees before Hashem, and then only once he's finished does he get up. So you see that he should be in a position that indicates submission for the entire Shmon And the idea of being here in all these cases is that the higher the stature or the position of the individual, the more they need to be nichna, the more they have to be submissive before HaKadosh Baruch There's more risk the higher your authority is that you will feel a certain sense of entitlement, power, and it will be harder for you to submit before God. So therefore, the higher your position, the more we ask you to bow down and to indicate submission before God. So once you know that the Minhag, Tosavot brings down, not here, but in other places, that the Minhag and Rashan and Yom Kippur, to bow down and to stay bent over, is a common Minhag. He discusses that, that it was very, it was commonly practiced. But one should make sure to... Right, before, the, at the beginning of the bracha, and the end of the bracha, to bring themselves upright. Not have this problem of violating the Takanat Chachamim. One should try to make some of themselves upright towards the beginning and end of brachot. But then the minhog is okay to be bent over during the entire filah of Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Tanabanan, kidah lapayim. When they say kidah, kidah means on your face. Shinemar, pasuk b'rabbet, tikod b'tsheva payim aretz. Then when b'tsheva comes to speak to David with regards to the future of Shlomo, she bows down, apayim aretz. And we see the verb that's used here is vatikod. 
As Tosafot points out, I could have brought you other proofs that Kidah is not a lapayim, that there are other options. So they must have had a misora that that was it, and they bring a puzzle that supports the misora. So that's alapayim. Kriya, to bow down, is albirkaim on your knees. Shinamar, michrol albirkav. We just saw with Shlomo Melch. It says he got up from bowing down or being bent over on his knees. Hishtachava, the actual bowing, zupishut yadayim raglaim, that's prostrating oneself completely. Shinamar, so when Yaakov is chastising Yosef for the dream, he says, what, we're all going to come down and bow Artsa on the ground to lay out, prostrate ourselves? And he uses the verb there, the Hishtacha Volt. So you have three types of bowing here. You have a bowing which is on one's face. There's a bowing on one's knees. And then there's bowing up, prostrating oneself. When we talk about Alapayim, it seems like you get down on your hands and knees. And you put your face down to the ground, similar to the way that the Muslims today, when you see them praying, that type of would be what we call kida, where your face touches the ground. Then you have birkayim, kriya, which is simply being down on your knees, right, without having your face into the ground. And then a which is one lays out completely prostrated, flat out, hands stretched out, legs stretched out. I know Rabbi David describes that the briskers and Rosh were very makrid, Rosh Hashanah and Moshe and Yom Kippurim, where you bow down during the calling of the Shem Hashem during Musaf when they go through the Aboda, it means Pishut Yadayim Raglayim. It means to be totally prostrated, stretched out, hands out, legs out. That's what we were talking about there. That's how they acted in the face of hearing the Shem Hashem. So that's the proper way to bow down. I think most people, when they bow down, they just get on their knees and put their face to the ground. They don't necessarily spread themselves out where they are completely prostrated. They didn't necessarily prostrate themselves when they bowed down, but they would lie on their side a little bit. No, they're talking about Rashi says over here, In the time of the Tanaim so the real Tachnun is that we fall, you would fall and you would prostrate yourself in Tachnun. He mentions that when he saw Rabbi and Rabbi doing it, that that they used to be a little bit on their sides. They didn't completely lay themselves out. They'd be laying on their sides a little bit. But Tachnun in their day, which is what we call it, Nefilat Apayim, to fall on one's face, is the real Tachnun. Today our practice is we fall on our face, but we put some sort of separation. Why we put our arm there is to have some separation between us and the floor, bowing down on an Eben Mesquite outside of the Mikdash, but we simulate in a very rough way what the original Nefilat Tapayim was. The real Nefilat Tapayim is really to bow down and get down on one's hands on the floor. Tani Chada Korea Baudar is Meshubach. Bow down during Modim. It's a good thing. Tani Dachar is Meguneh. We have another that says that's not good. Lokasha Abitzkila Alibsof. That's in the beginning, that's in the end. Well, that's a little bit problematic because we just said before and the way we practice is that we bow down and the beginning and the end. So Rova Korabo David Kilasof. Rova was bowed down both beginning and end. Amilei Rabban and Amai Kovid Marhochi. Why are you doing that? Because based on what we just saw in the steer in the Brayta, we said that only one of them is good. You should bow down either at the beginning, but not at the end, or the other way around. Amalu Chazina the Rav Nachman the Korah. I saw Rav Nachman doing that. Bechazina Lei the Rav Sheshet the Kavadochi. I saw Rav Nachman. I saw Rav Sheshet. They practiced this. Vatanya, which is we brought now, a Korea Boda is in Mugune. Says Hayi Boda Shibalel. That Oda is not talking about Hoda like found in Shmonesre of Modim and Tovshim Khalakanel Odol. It's talking about Halel. Vatanya Koreba Hoda Hoda Shal Halel, which seems to separate the two issues. Arizimigune. Kitanya hi Bohoda de Birkadamazon. That's another Khan Birkadamazon. 
We have other places where Hoda'ah appear. You have Hoda'ah in Shemona Esrei, you have Hoda'ah in Halel, Hodu Lashem Kitov Gilam Chasto, you have Hoda'ah in Birkat Mazon, there's no Dalacha. So he's saying it's inappropriate to bow down when you're in Nodalacha in Birkat Mazon, it's inappropriate to bow down when you're Hodu Lashem Kitov Gilam Chasto in Halel. In Hoda'ah in Shemona Esrei, it's appropriate to bow down, that's both Tchila and Sof, which is our practice to bow down at Modim, as well as Tov Shimcha, Udachonele Odot. Okay, next Mishnah. Hamit Palel Vita'a. Person who's davening and makes him a sick. Siman Raldo. It's a bad sign, a bad omen. Shleach Tzibor And if it's the Shatz that makes him a sick, Siman Raldo Shol Chav. Then it's a bad sign for those that sent him, meaning for the congregation. Mipnei. Shlucho Shal Adam Kimoto. Because a person's agent is considered to be just like him, like the sender. Amru Alav. Arabi Chanina Ben Dosa. So Rabbi Chanina Dosa we met before. Again, we'll meet him again in the Gemara Tanit. We're going to meet him again today. But the story we just saw before about the Arot. That was from Chanina ben Dosa. Chanina Dosa is known as a Baal Nes. Had many miracles that took place. As well as someone whose tefillah was very powerful. So, when he davened for anyone who was sick, he could tell you right away, as soon as he davened, whether this person would live or this person would die. How do you know after you daven? I mean, doesn't, Hashem doesn't speak to you. If my tefillah flows freely and easily, I know that Hashem accepted it. If I'm stumbling over the tefillah and it's not going well, I know that it's not being accepted, it's being torn up. Rashi brings two interpretations about mituraf. Mituraf can mean either that my tefillah is mituraf, or the chole is mituraf. That means that he's not going to survive, that he's not going to make it. Ahayai. Where is it that when you make a mistake, it's a bad sign? So we have this msora from someone from the base manager of Rabbi. Be'avot. It's only true in the first bracha. And some say that this statement qualified a brayta. Person who davens has to have kavono for the entire davening. He should at least have kavanah for one of them. What is that one that you have to have kavanah in? Is a vote, the first bracha. So now this really opens up Pandora's box in terms of kavanah. And Tosafot already raises the issue, which is at the end of Tefillah Tashachar. Kabbalah Dafaga, we said, it says that a person should check whether he's able to daven. A person has to assess his ability to have kavana in davening. If he's unable to have kavana, he shouldn't daven at all. So what, what do you mean? You can't daven at all. Over here we said he just has to have kavana in the first bracha. Why doesn't he just have to assess that he has kavana in the first bracha? So how do we deal with that steer? We also just saw the response about not having kavana in Kriyachma. Over there, we said that was unacceptable, that a person would be repeating Kriyachma twice because they didn't have Kavana. Chavruta klape shamaya? Hashem is your friend? So you see the Gemara over there has no room or maneuverability and says that you need Kavana for the entirety of the davening. And over here, we have this Kavana only for Avot. Tosafot over here answers, Yesh lefaresh, hatam nami bachad man. Because it says, this qualifies everything. All the times that we talked about Kavana before are qualified by the statement of the Gemara here. That only means in the first bracha in Avot. But that's not the way the Rambam formulates it. It's not the way the Shulchan Aruch formulates it. What's interesting is that Rambam, when he formulates it, brings down the halacha in two different places. When it comes to Ilchot Tvila, later on in Perak Yud, he says, Mishit Palel, Velokibin, Edlibo, Yavzor, Yitpalel, Bekavana. 
אם כיוון אל ליבו ברכה ראשונה, שוב אינו צריך. ויש כוונה לפרס ברכה, no problem. early on, the Rambam writes, that when it comes to having כוונה, he has to have כוונה for the entire davening, and it's one of the things that's מעקב davening. If you don't have כוונה, it's an ikuv, it doesn't allow you to daven, and your tefillah is not a tefillah. So how do you reconcile between the Rambam and Perak Aleph and the Rambam and Perak Yud? The same is true in Shulchan Aruch. You can see over here that for the end Mishpat, an old Dalit says that if you look in the Shulchan Aruch, Siman Kuf Aleph. But there is also a Siman Tzadichet in Shulchan Aruch. Siman Tzadichet, he writes that you have to have Kavana in Tefillah. Then here in Siman Kuf Aleph, he says, oh, you only have to have Kavana in the first Racha. So how do you reconcile between these Stirot, that you have to have Kavana through the entire Tefillah, or you don't have to have kavanah in the first bracha. So the Shulchan Aruch defines what type of kavanah you have to have. He says, by the time you have to kavanah the whole tefillah, is that I have to have perish milim. You know what I'm saying? And I have to know that I'm standing for a Kodesh Baruch Hu. Then in Siman Kufalaf, when he says that you have to have kavanah just for the first bracha, he doesn't define what that means. The Mishnah Brura writes, oh, perish milim. That, that means just knowing what the words mean. They only need to know that for the first bracha. Which is interesting because the Shulchan Aruch explicitly said that you needed that before perish milim and only the Tanei HaKadosh Baruch for the other parts. So it's a very, very famous Reb Chaim. Chaim dealt with the steer in the Rambam, but it's, I'm telling you as well, it's a steer in the Gemara, it's a steer in uh, the Shulchan Aruch. About, there are different levels or types of kavanah that one can have. There is a kavanah, which is perish milim. To know what you are saying. There is another type of kavanah, which is that you know you are standing before God. That when you come into tefillah, this is not just like any other part of davening. You're literally standing before God at that type of time, and you have to clear your head of any other thoughts, and you have to focus on what you're saying, because you're standing before God. The kavanah of standing before God, and knowing that you stand before God, the kavanah zu, eina midin kavanah. It's not because of focus or concentration. That is what's called tefillah. It's not called tefillah if you don't know you're standing before God. If you don't clear your heart of any foreign thoughts, and you don't know you're standing before God, that's not called davening. You lack davening in that sense. You haven't davened. It's as if you're like toying around with something. And therefore that type of kavanah is ma'akev the entire tefillah. Because it's not called tefillah if you don't know you're standing before a Kodesh Baruch Hu. It's as if you skipped words or you said nothing when you don't know you're standing before God. You're missing core tefillah in that case. You haven't done, you haven't davened at all. You haven't even said the words of tefillah. On the other hand, the kavanah tefillah, which is perish tevarim or perish milim, that type of kavanah is what's required at minimum in the first bracha. In bracha rishona, they won't understand what they are saying. And that's where the Rambam speaks about only with the first bracha. So he says, in that kavana, so the kavana of perish milim, that only applies to the first bracha. The fact that you understand and are cognizant of being before God, that applies to the entire tefillah, and it's ma'akev, to the point where you're not davening if you don't know that. And he says that breaks down into two dinim. One is that you're called mitasek if you don't know that. And number two is that you need to know mitzvot tzrichot kavana. Mitzvah, you have to know that you're doing a mitzvah, that you're davening, you're accomplishing the mitzvah of davening. So those two are ma'akiv and tefillah, at least if you believe that mitzvah, tzrichot, kavana here, which is interesting in of itself, because by tefillah it's the rabbanon. Magin Avram brings down, and some of the achronim believe that mitzvah, tzrichot, kavana may only apply to the mitzvah doraita, not to mitzvah de rabbanan. So that's a question by tefillah, whether you require that understanding, because it may be mitzvah de rabbanan. Of course, in the Rambam, the Shita told that it's doraita, at least once a day would require that you have that kavana at least one time a day.
So that's how the Reb Chaim explains or tries to reconcile between these differences in Kavanah. He creates different forms of Kavanah. There are different types of Kavanah. Some of them will be Ma'aked the Tefillah. Others will be only necessary in the first Bracha. Just to note, everybody knows, because now we're coming up to Sarat Yimei Tshuva or Shona Yom Kippur, Rav Salavechik has a very famous formulation when it comes to the Rambam, that certain mitzvot in the Rambam, there is a Maisa mitzvah and then there's a Kiyuma mitzvah. The kiyum is believed that one accomplishes the mitzvah through what they have in their heart and how they feel. But there's an action. The action is an outside item that has no relevance without the kiyum alei, but it's still called a maiseh. And I point out that by tefillah, the Rav formulates it, tefillah, the maiseh tefillah is saying the words. The kiyum tefillah is what's believed. So unlike his grandfather, Rav Chaim, Rav Chaim said if you don't focus that you're standing for Kodesh Baruch Hu, and that you don't understand that you are davening, clear all your thoughts. He says that is not even called a Maiset Tefillah. The, ra- the Rav says that you don't have a Kiyom Alev, it's called a Maiset Tefillah, which is that you said the words. You just don't have the Kiyom Alev. But at least he calls it a Maiset Tefillah. Maiset Tefillah is saying the words. Chaim says you're not even, you're missing even the core Maiset when you don't do it. So it's just interesting to note that difference in their formulation of how they view Tefillah in terms of the Rav's Kiyom Alev, negative Maiset Tefillah, which is saying the words, which Rav Chaim says that you lack and even a fundamental Maiset Tefillah when you don't know that you're standing before a Kodesh Baruch Hu, and that you are not aware of that you're in Shmon So that is a little difference between their formulations of this. All right, now the Gemara continues. Amr Olava Rabbi Chanina. Mna'ani Mile. Amr Rishul Ben Levi. Where do we know the fact that when your Tefillah is not Shkura B'fiv, that you know it's not being accepted? Because the Pasuk says, Amr Kro. So here we know that Hashem says that this person will be a Rufuah. So where's the case? The one who creates lips that utter, that formulate, articulate, Shalom. If they do it peacefully, then Amar Hashem Rufuah So if the words flow freely, then we know that Hashem says that there will be a Rufuah. So that's the source for what Rabbi Chanina ben Dos is saying. Everything you see in the Nevi'im, all that wonderful things that are going to be Latin Lavo, that's all for someone who marries his daughter off to a Tamid Chacham, or he takes on partnerships with Tamid Chachamim in order to benefit them. Or he supports Tamir Chachamim from his possessions. Aval Tamir Chachamim Atzmam. The Tamir Chachamim themselves, Ayin Lorata Lukim Zulatecha. That nobody's seen that wonder except you, Agarjvarcho, Yaselam Echakelo. That's what will be given to those that wait. Distinguishing between what the Nevi'im predicted as to what is impossible to describe because it's so good. So here, the first statement we have is, it's a difference between those that support Tamini Chachamim versus Tamini Chachamim themselves. The other statements now take us to Perakachelik in Sanhedrin, where the Gemara discusses Olam Abba, Mashiach, and here we have these distinct distinctions being made. So when it comes to Imota Mashiach, that's what's being described in the Nevi'im. Olam Abba, that we have no description of because it's so wonderful, something that is impossible to comprehend how good it is. So here you see a clear distinction between Yemot Mashiach and Olam Abba. The two are different. That argues on Shmuel's position. There's no difference in what we live in today. And the future is Shibur Machiot Babad, which is whether we have autonomy or not. 
Shinemar, Kilo Yachtal of Yomi, Karavaretz. The Pasuk says that the poor people will never leave. So as long as we're on the Aretz, there will be poor people, and that's even the Mota Mashiach. So it doesn't mean that there will be cure for all evils and all bads. It just means that we will not be under the dominion of others. So obviously Shmuel doesn't see that what the Nevi'im predicted as being Yomota Mashiach. Everything they said was for people who do tshuva. That when it comes to the tzaddikim gemurim, their reward is beyond comprehension. This is perfect for the time period we're coming into. Place where a Baal Tshuva stands, no tzaddik can attain that level. Shalom, shalom, l'rachov, ulekarov. Shem says there'll be peace for those that are far and those that are close. L'rachov, b'reisha, v'hadar l'karov. First, those that are far away will meet the peace, and then only those that are close. Meaning the Baal Tshuva who are far away and then came close. They are first. Rabbi Yochanan, Marlecha, Rabbi Yochanan argues on that position. My Rachok, she Rachok midvara veira miikara. Rachok doesn't mean that he was distanced from Hashem, but far away from a veira. My Karov, she Karov ledvara veira v'nitrachek mimeno. That he originally was close to the veira, meaning that he, he performed a veirot, and then v'nitrachek mimeno, he distanced himself for it, for it. So he reverses the meaning of Rachok and Karov in the Pasuk in order to have it that Sadiq and Gumurim are on a higher level than Balei Tshuva. Just know to hear what the Rav Salvechik says in Ala Tshuva. How is it that Bali Tshuva attain a higher standing than Sadiqim Gemurim? He notes that there are two forces within the individual. There's a force of construction or constructive force and there's a force of destruction. And we know in life that the destructive forces are always more powerful than constructive forces. So easy to unleash destruction, to build is much harder. And what's amazing about the Baal is that the Baal turns around a destructive force and makes it into something constructive. And that's why a Baal is on a higher level than a Tzadik Gemur. He now rechannels those destructive forces to something that's positive. And that's how he explains the Gemara in Yoma that says that Averotav nastein zchuyotav. That is, Averot turned into zchuyot. That which was once a destructive force becomes and is turned and channeled into something positive then his Averot becomes Chuyot in that instance because he's taken that which was evil, bad, and unleashed it and now turned it to the positive. And that's how Bali Chuba can stand in a place where Tzadikim Gemurim can't stand. Okay, am I in Lorato? What does it mean? It's something that I don't want to see. I'm Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi. Zeyayin amishumar benavav misheji brishit. That is wine that is still within its grapes from creation. Shmo benachmenimar zeyayin. That's why I'm at Eden, Shalosh Shalta Bo Ayn Kobiria. That nobody ever saw it. Shema Tumar Adam Rishon Echen Haya. What about Adam Rishon? Bagan. He was in the Gan. Shema Tumar Hu Gan Hu Eden. Don't we call it Gan Eden? So it says, no, Tamad Omar, Benar Yutzim Eden, Tashkotet Gan. River flowed out of Eden in order to sustain the Gan, to feed the Gan. Gan Nechud, Eden Nechud, they're two different locations. We see Gan Eden, we really mean the Gan of Eden. Not Gan Eden being a single place. Turn banan. Maseh shechalo beno shel Rabbi Gamliel. Rabbi Gamliel's son fell ill. Shagar shnei tamay chachim until Rabbi Chanina ben Dosa. He sent two messengers over to Rabbi Chanina ben Dosa. The vacation of Rachamim to daven on his behalf. Came in shiraotam. He saw them coming. I don't know if he intuited that there was a problem with Rabbi Gamliel's son. Or after he spoke to them, alali aliyah. He went upstairs. Vacation of Rachamim. And then he daven on his behalf. Pirdo amalem dechu. Go back, Shechalat His fever broke. Amrulov, Chi Naviata. Says, Are you a Navi? 
I'm not a Navi, and I'm not the son of a Navi. This is a line that's also used by Rebekhanim and Dosa in the Gemara and Babakama as well. Over there, there was someone who was Khufer, Shikhin in Mayorot, a person who was a cistern digger, a water digger, and his child fell into a boar, and they were having trouble getting them out. And Rebekhanim and Dosa over there says that they'll be okay. And they say to him, how do you know? Are you a Navi? And he gives the same response here, Lo Navi Anochi, Lo Ben Navi Anochi. So they say, how do you know? He says, because the Kodesh Baruch Midah Kineged Midah would not punish someone who is a person who digs borot and cisterns to help out people and the public during the Regalim, his child will not die in a bore. It would be impossible. So he uses the same line over there. Elakach Mikublani. I have this Mesorim Shkura Tfilah Tbifi. If my Tfilah flows freely, Yodayani Yishu Mikubal. Vimlav Yodayani Yishu Mituraf. Yeshvu Bikatvu Bikivnu Otosha. When he's told them that everything was fine, they wrote down exactly what time that was. He says, you didn't add on anything, didn't retract anything, meaning, exactly that moment, his fever broke. And he asked for water to drink. Another incident with Rabbi Yochanan and Zakkai. He's learning Torah again with Rabbi Yochanan and Zakkai, the Gadol Ador. His son fell ill. He says to his Talmud, maybe Talmud Chavir even, that please ask Hashem to have Rachamim on him. So he should live. Put his head between his knees, Talmud on his behalf, and he lived. He says, I put my head between my knees all day long. They would not have listened to me. Greater than you? He's your Talmud. How could it be that he's greater than you? I am like a minister before the king, and he is like a servant before the king. Now it's clear that the minister has a higher position in terms of authority, in terms of hierarchy. He's higher than the Evid. But who sees the king more? The Evid, the servant, is in and out of the king's quarters all day and night. He's always there to service the king, so he sees the king on a regular basis. The prince only comes in when he's called, only when he has something to speak about with the king. So even though you might be of higher stature, it might be that you see the king less. The servant sees the king and has more interactions with the king, even though he's of a lower stature. The person should only daven in a house which has windows. This we quoted already, we saw this Gemara just before in Lamed Aleph, by the Pasuk in Daniel, that when he went into the place, his house, he had windows that were open and faced towards Yerushalayim. Amar Kahana is a very important line in the Gemara. person is considered to be a mechutzof, if he davens in a valley, and an open field. Oh, that's a big problem, because what is the source for Tzvila Tamincha in the Avot? Says, Vayetze Yitzchak, Lasuach Basadeh. Tosfot asks the question right away. Vayetze Yitzchak, Lasuach Basadeh. The Yeshlomar, he gives one answer, Tahatamari Bahara Moriah. As the Gemara says, that that Sadeh was not an open field, was Hara Moriah. Inami, second answer he gives, is Makom Shurigilim Shambhne Adam Lavor. What it means, it depends where you are. If it's a place where many people are going to come and interrupt your davening, that's problematic. But if it's in a place where you have privacy and you're alone, that might be okay. So this is brought down the Olacha, and the Beit Yosef says, Tamili, I don't understand. The Murray here says, Chatzifalai, he's a Mechutzif, if he does this. 
So Beit Yosef says, what do you mean? He's a mechutzef. Just because he davens where other people are going to pass by, that's called to be chatzuf. I can understand it means he doesn't have kavana, it's not a good tefillah. To call him a mechutzef doesn't make sense. And therefore he says the explanation of here of Isman Damatzli Bikta means anywhere. Any open field is considered to be mechutzef because you don't bring yourself into quarters that will be machnia, that will cause you to be humble. You look like you're in expanse, that you're in a big area and you'll have a sense of greatness and power and that's not right. The Taz writes... I have a problem with the Tmiya of the Beit Yosef because it is a Chatzuf. One who does not place himself in a position where they can daven with proper Kavanah is a Mechutzuf. He doesn't feel that he needs to place himself where he can daven properly for Hashem. That is considered Mechutzuf. And therefore the problem is being interrupted. So the Aloha, we worry about both of these things. One is, one should not daven in a place where they'll be interrupted. That can even be in a shul. Also, one should not dab in an open field. They should try to find a location that is more private and more, more closed in. And obviously, there's a dispensation for Ovrei Drachim. Ovrei Drachim. Everybody says, if you're traveling and you have no choice, you dab in wherever you can dab in. That's not the question. The question here is where a person has the option to go into a shul or to be inside and they dab in out on the street, which is very common in Israel. It's highly problematic. A person's called a mechutzaf if they do that. It's a problem in terms of kavana. So it's a problem in terms of the one's understanding of what it means to come before a Kaddish Baruch Hu. I was wondering the other night, at Kota, uh-huh. how people might go inside and have to turn the outside. Maybe. Although here, you saw the Tosa has that dispensation by Haram Moriah. And then when you're in the Makoma Mikdash, it has a different status. Because the Mikdash itself generates that feeling of humbleness and humility. So maybe that, by the location and the Kedushat HaMakom, it's good enough. Whereas you don't have that outside of the area of Yishlam and Mikdash. If he says out, it's Chataim. And I'm coming into Rashaim. Whatever we do, Vidoy. What do you mean it's Mechutzah? The one who carries his iniquities and covers up his sins. So the way I say, if you explicit, if you lay out your sins, it sounds like you're not embarrassed. You don't worry about them. The Gemara in Yoma quotes this and brings down two memra, one which says that you should say them, out your sins out loud, and one says that you shouldn't. The Gemara, their answer is, it's a difference between ben adam l'makom and ben adam l'chavero. Ben adam l'chavero, a person make out uh, his sins because he has to get forgiveness from his friend. So therefore he has to go back to him and say that. When it comes to a Kodesh Baruch Hu, one should not spill out his sins out loud. Now what's interesting is, even that alocho of going back to a friend and explicitly saying what you did wrong to them, is a machloket. Their Beinu Yonah says that in order to gain proper forgiveness, you have to tell your friend what you did wrong. You can't just go to them and ask them for mechila. You have to ask them for mechila and tell them what you did wrong. Even though it might cause more pain and be difficult. And the Chavitz Chaim, in his Sefer, quotes this Rabbeinu Yonah. And Bravar and Soloveitchik brings down, Chavitz Chaim went to Rav Salant in order to get a skoma for a Sefer. And Rav Salant refused to give a skoma for the Sefer because of this issue in the Sefer. He said there is no way that a halacha can be that a person goes to ask Mechila from his friend and he has to be pogeying him. He has to hurt him. He has to say to him what he did wrong. Rather, you go up, you say, I did something wrong, and you don't explain to him exactly what it is, so you don't cause more pain and more difficulty. So there's a machloket between the Chavitz Chaim, based on the Rabbeinu Yonah and Rav Salant, about whether one does have to tell their friend exactly what they did wrong in order to attain kaparar, mechila, from their friend. But anyway, the Gemara there in Yoma quotes this passage, and there it's talking about Ben Adam Makom, one should not speak out loud on Yom Kippurim. When you have Vidoy, one should not say it out loud. When you're talking about things that are Ben Adam Makom, when it comes to Ben Adam Chavero, one has to ask publicly, one has to make sure that they guarantee to gain Mechila from their friend about whether they have to tell exactly what they did or not. That is a Machloket. It will end here.